Hello, my name is Andrew Gary, and welcome to Seismic Sound Off, in-depth conversations in applied geophysics. In this episode, I speak with Mehdi Akhershow on October's The Leading Edge, Exploring Machine Learning and AI. Mehdi shares his expertise in machine learning as we explore the potential and limitations of this cutting-edge research. Mehdi highlights how these papers can improve the industry and why he views explainable AI and machine learning as the key to the future. He also explains why he believes the industry needs to do more to adopt and adjust to the digital revolution. This conversation covers important ground essential for all geophysicists and businesses. Do not miss this. Mehdi Show is a machine learning research geoscientist at ExxonMobil. For Mehdi's full biography and links to the papers, visit seg.org forward slash podcast. Now for our conversation. So let's start looking at the October's The Leading Edge. So what stood out to you from this special section that highlights machine learning and AI? Yeah, so uh, I think the thing that stood out to me the most in this uh, TLE's uh, special section on ML and AI for uh, geoscience is that there is clearly an overall uh, improvement in the industry's understanding and application of ML. And what I mean by that more specifically is supervised learning. I mean, if we look at uh, uh, most successful applications that have happened even outside of our industry today, most successful applications of ML, they've all been uh, kind of related to supervised learning. And I think by far in the geophysics industry, supervised learning in contrast to other kinds of machine learning like unsupervised and self-learning has been mostly explored. So there's clearly a quite significant improvement relative to about five years ago where kind of the geophysics industry was using ML for pretty much to, to pretty much solve all problems. I think we now have more reasonable and justifiable use of machine learning. We're also seeing some higher quality results. Um, they're not perfect, but they're definitely higher quality results. And also equally important, I think we're seeing a better grasp of the limitations associated with ML. I mean, clearly the geophysics industry now is not looking at machine learning as a silver bullet or as a tool that can solve all problems. It's a very interesting and powerful tool that can be adequate for some problems, but may not be the right tool for some others. And I think the industry now is uh, has a better understanding of that. The other thing I would say that stood out to me is that besides uh, seismic interpretation and uh, processing as two main uh, most popular application areas of machine learning, we've been seeing some other kind of uh, research directions. Like one of them is uh, for instance, a publication on leveraging ML for data QC or the QC of magnetotelluric data. I think um, this is very, very interesting kind of direction to explore because data QC, uh, as is well known to geophysicists, is something that can really involve lots of labor and scanning of very large volumes of data. And it's definitely a task that can benefit from some automation and where machines can do a better job than, than humans. 
And besides that, there is some work also on the development of new metrics to kind of assess the performance of ML uh, and also the introduction of some physics-guided uh, ways to generate better synthetic labels for uh, for training. Some interesting research directions kind of appearing besides seismic interpretation and seismic processing. And uh, for me, it was very interesting to see that. You co-authored two of the papers presented in this special section. The first one utilizes the Siamese neural network could you briefly explain this type of neural network and why it's useful for geophysicists? The Siamese neural net uh, is a special category of neural nets, uh, which is proven useful at learning similarity. And so it does that by acquiring what's known as discriminative features. And what sets them apart, I would say, from other kinds of neural nets is that they have this unique ability to capture what essentially makes uh, two or more objects similar or dissimilar. And so in terms of their architecture, instead of just relying on one deep convolutional neural network, for instance, they are based on training two or more deep convnets in tandem. So that's the reason why actually some people call them the twin networks. Uh, and, and, and so they do that kind of training uh, uh, collaborative training to then recognize, for instance, whether two input images are similar or dissimilar. And so to give you an example, people nowadays are finding Siamese neural nets really useful for applications in face recognition, where, for instance, you have the task of having two pictures belonging to the same person, but under different conditions. Say in one picture, I have a photo of uh, Andrew uh, without eyeglasses, and the other, I have a photo of Andrew with eyeglasses. Uh, and then the task is to kind of uh, have the machine recognize and tell us whether the two pictures belong to the same person or not. So for us human beings, this task can be almost trivial. But for the machine, it can be incredibly hard and what has proven to be the case is even the most advanced kind of feature engineering tools and standard measures of measuring similarity between the two pictures can often break because there are so many possible perturbations that can take place between the two pictures. And Siamese neural nets in, in the field of computer vision and face recognition more specifically have proven to uh, sometimes even outperform those existing uh, measures. So they can be very powerful at learning similarity uh, by training them, you know, on input images and associated labels that kind of quantify the degree of similarity between the input images uh, and whether, for instance, they're similar or not, or sometimes even kind of ranking different input images if we have, say, more than, uh, than two. As far as the kind of tie with the with geophysics, assessing similarity and comparing between geophysical objects, uh, I would argue, is is really at the heart of what we do in geophysical work. And so, in many kind of tasks and applications in geophysics, we're often in the position where we have to compare between two or more geophysical objects. And so uh, uh, doing this reliably can be very challenging sometimes given some 
characteristics in terms of the noise and the signal and their distri distributions and so on. So what we often use are some generic ways to measure uh, similarity. And those sometimes they break, again, if we don't really satisfy the noise assumptions that we make. Uh, and so in that regard, the Siamese neural networks, I mean, at least one of the contributions we're hoping to make by introducing Siamese neural nets to the geophysics industry is to then allow some more reliable uh, assessment uh, of similarity, which could really impact different uh, focus areas that we have in geophysics. Is that part there related to what you see as the potential for edge-aware filtering in geophysical data? Yes, exactly. And so that's totally the case because edge-aware filtering is kind of a narrow application of this broader vision that we kind of hope to bring behind this work. And so what we are looking at as edge-aware filtering is how can we learn uh, rather than handcraft some similarity measures that can be used between different uh, seismic image patches to kind of streamline and simplify the seismic image conditioning uh, workflow. But the, the, the broader vision there beyond just seismic image conditioning, which of course is a, is a very important tool, but the broader vision there is how can we even use that framework of learning similarity measures rather than, uh, rather than kind of hand engineering them and, and having generic ones? How can we learn those for different kind of focus areas in geophysics? And so comparing between geophysical objects is something we always do. And so in FWI, for instance, we need to compare between uh, observed and uh, simulated shots. For the time-lapse, we need to compare between monitor and base surveys. Likewise, in AVO analysis, we often need to compare between near, mid, and far angle stacks. And so we often rely on some generic kind of standard measures like least squares or L1 norm to assess uh, or, or to measure the degree of similarity and so on. And we we know that those measures kind of break whenever we don't meet the assumptions that we make about signal and noise. One, one of those assumptions being the IID assumption, for instance, that noise, for instance, is uh, independent, identically distributed. Well, we know in geophysical data, we almost never meet that assumption. And so one of the impacts that we kind of uh, hope to achieve is instead of relying on those generic measures, how about maybe custom tailoring them to specific domains where we have good quality data for training and where we can learn the similarity via the Siamese covenant instead of just uh, using the, the, the standard measures. And the hope there is to kind of improve the reliability. And uh, in the case of FWI, for instance, uh, lead to some more robust, more accurate solutions about the subsurface and, and yeah, so that's the broader vision. For your second paper, co-authored with Baumstein, what was the hypothesis for this paper and what did you discover in your experiments? What we really uh, wanted to uh, check or test in the paper about deep learning-based uh, artificial bandwidth extension, so kind of check to what extent uh, can we learn from a certain geophysical data set 
uh, that possesses some desirable features, uh, to what extent can we do that learning to then enhance the properties of another geophysical data set which may lack those desirable features? So that's kind of the, the big vision. What we do in, in that work, in that paper specifically, is we look at the problem of low frequency reconstruction as it may benefit full wave field inversion. Uh, so your audience will certainly know that FWI is today one of the most advanced ways to automatically try and build uh, subsurface uh, models. And that process, among other things, relies a lot on having good quality low frequencies. And so what we try to do here is kind of look at some acquisition systems that are used in the context of marine seismic exploration and compare between, say, the toad streamer acquisition, which is the most popular uh, acquisition method by far because it's kind of cheap, but it's known to kind of have this shortcoming of noisy uh, low frequencies, especially as we look at below 4 hertz. And we compare that to ocean bottom node recordings or what's known as OBN, uh, which can be much more expensive and which you usually kind of deploy on the sea floor. So you have a quieter acquisition environment. And so they record the low frequencies with higher signal to noise. And the key question we kind of ask in this work is how can we better meet the compromise of still having access to good quality low frequencies without really having to pay for uh, the cost of a full-blown kind of OBN surveys, survey. So what we explore is, can we, for instance, just from a very small subset of ocean bottom nodes deployed on the seafloor, can we train a deep learning system on that subset, which would be kind of uh, cheaper to uh, deploy and, uh, and, and, and use in production? Can we train a deep neural system on that subset? and learn a mapping between high and low frequencies, like from between four and 15 hertz, and then to go to one to four hertz, and then apply that mapping to toad streamer data over the same region that uh, lacks the low frequencies and enrich that data with the low frequencies by predicting on the high frequencies and therefore enable FWI to do a better job in terms of uh, the inversion of uh, subsurface products. So that's what we were really interested in doing. And, and what, do you, what future directions do you hope this research explores? So the, the whole uh, framework really doesn't have to be just constrained to low frequencies, because low frequencies are what we uh, explore in, in, in the paper. But the whole idea of training a deep learning system on one data set to enhance the properties of another can really be extended to other problems we have in geophysics. And so, for instance, on the high frequency side, one could, uh, for instance, try and train on some uh, acquisition systems like shallow toe streamer or near field hydrophones and train on that kind of data because that data records uh, the high frequencies with, with, with higher signal to noise and do that training, for instance, to improve the properties of deep toe streamers, which are kind of now becoming more and more popular, especially with the advent of broadband seismic. Another kind of direction uh, which where, where we see some uh, potential uplift is this idea of uh, uh, training on Kirchhoff images 
to do this super resolution, to boost resolution, and then apply that to enhance the properties of RTM images. And so reverse time migration or RTM is a very, very popular tool when you have like a very complex subsurface. Uh, but it's also a migration technique that can become prohibitively expensive if you want to push the algorithm to higher frequencies. And so uh, the whole idea here is, can we, for instance, train a deep learning system on Kirchhoff images, which are uh, uh, which always come with high resolution and are much cheaper to get the, the, the broadband with, and then do that training on Kirchhoff images uh, and then apply on uh, an RTM image. So these are kind of two example research directions that could be further explored using the same framework. You know, I think one of the most exciting things about machine learning and AI is how it can improve the industry. So how do you see the techniques and case studies and tools presented in this special section in the leading edge help improve the industry or, or see it improving the industry? There are really uh, uh, three aspects, uh, you know, but before we kind of get there, I, I, I would say it is very important to acknowledge that most of the techniques we're seeing today in the literature and so on, they're, they're all at some stage of development. But the, if, they, if they really reach um, the desirable level of maturity, I think the uh, impactful ways that we can expect are uh, kind of three, three categories. One is obviously making things faster in terms of geophysical work. And that's going to be enabled by the automation that is already taking place, for instance, in terms of the, pick, the picking of faults and horizons and salt and first breaks and so on. So we should expect some uh, 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 kind of impact in terms of making things faster and reducing cycle time. The second kind of impact I think we can expect is uh, overall improvement in decision making. And so whether this is kind of tied to uh, data QC or a reduction of errors as far as they tie to reservoir prediction, for instance, or even the faster iteration to build subsurface models via multi-scenario analysis uh, uh, in order to expedite the decision-making, especially in early exploration stages. Those are all examples where we can hope to better inform decisions or geophysical decisions. And the third kind of impact I think one could expect is being more cost-effective and being kind of cheaper in a sense. And an example of that is, is the work we're kind of proposing for the artificial bandwidth extension, where we're uh, trying to train on a smaller subset of ocean bottom nodes to get the low frequencies. And so we can actually expect more kind of uh, work uh, heading in that direction of reducing cost. And uh, I would say given the, um, the challenges now uh, in the uh, oil and gas industry and all the hardships, this aspect of becoming more cost effective is a very interesting value proposition that can be brought by machine learning. So I would say it should definitely be explored more and tested more and hopefully seen even more serious and potential impactful applications in that aspect. Yeah, speaking of that cost effectiveness and how that could be really helpful for the oil and gas industry right now, on a scale of one to 10, where would you rank the discipline of geophysics in adopting and adjusting to the digital revolution? 
Well, that's a that's a very good question, Andrew. And uh, my answer is perhaps uh, going to sound a bit disappointing to people who really feel very uh, enthusiastic and somehow uh, idealistic about the uh, uh, the use of ML in geophysics today. But uh, I'm actually going to give five on a scale of ten, and and the reason for that is that while there has been some really exciting progress, there's still a lot that we can do as an industry in terms of uh, better adoption and uh, more importantly, more impactful use of uh, ML and AI. And kind of things I can think about where we could improve are, well, one, clearly uh, we need more experience, right? So the whole work so far uh, has been during kind of the last five years. So we clearly need more time in order to bring this technology to uh, to business impacts. And I would say a challenge there is to kind of catch up with all the developments happening outside of our industry in ML and AI. So one very challenging aspect there is even breakthroughs that took place just two years ago, say in image processing or computer vision, they keep on evolving and we see new work almost on a daily or weekly basis uh, so even breakthroughs that took place two years ago may now kind of seem old. Uh, and so we need to be kind of flexible and, and, and catch up and always uh, 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 monitor and look at what's happening even our, outside of our industry. The other thing I would say is we need to avoid looking at ML as a hammer and seeing every problem as a nail. So obviously not all problems need to be solved via ML. Uh, some of them are adequate and strong candidates. Some of them are not, right? So one, one in my view really needs to critically think about the problem formulation and whether, whether ML is the right tool for the problem, right? So if you take, for instance, some things we do in seismic processing, like, uh, I don't know, like SRME, for instance, surface related multiple elimination. What we do there is essentially automate data with itself in order to come up with predictions. I mean, that process is already automated. We don't really need to introduce further automation via machine learning. So there are some things that are adequate for machine learning, some others that are not. And, and making that differentiation is to me very, very important. Another thing where I think we can do a better job as an industry is obviously we need to rise up to the challenge of moving from simple proof of concept to production at scale. So I think now we are just scratching the surface there. There's very little work really exploring this uh, transition from proof of concept to production at scale. And this really comes with its own challenges, right? Because we need to think about model governance, about continual learning and how to always try to improve the predictions and feed in kind of new data and uh, uh, keep that process sustained. So I would say starting to think and implement ways that we can move from proof of concept to production at scale is going to be very important. And last point, Andrew, uh, clearly as an industry, we need to start looking beyond just supervised learning. So looking, for instance, at uh, other learning paradigms where we rely, rely less on data, right? So like supervised, unsupervised learning being an example and self-learning. So when you look at supervised learning, at some point, there's clearly a limitation which is associated with really the, the, the requirement that you need to have very large 
volumes of training data. But not only that, you need to also very much think about uh, choosing the right data and data selection and data curation and so on. So that whole process can at some point become kind of not automated to the level that it should be. And so relying less on data is something that the industry is going to face at some point. And so we should start thinking from now about uh, usage of unsupervised learning and other kind of uh, learning frameworks. I think this is an exciting way to, to end our conversation here. So please finish this sentence. If the digital revolution reaches its full potential for geophysics, it will... Well, that's, that's, that, that is a great uh, way to finish uh, this, uh, Andrew. I mean, in, in, uh, whenever I hear and talk about digital revolution, I always like to think of uh, the industrial revolution and the impacts that it created on, on societies. You know, and, and while the industrial revolution had a lot of positive impacts, you know, like uh, making goods, more affordable, more accessible, reducing labor and enhancing quality of life of the average person. We can also talk about some cons that came from the uh, industrial revolution, wealth inequality being an obvious one. And I think in the same way, we should expect both pros and cons to come out of the digital revolution, which is now evolving and even impacting geophysics. So as I mentioned before, we should be expecting improvements in the in geophysics and, and overall oil and gas exploration in the sense that we can make things faster via automation. We can empower decision-making by reducing error, improving the quality of subsurface products, improving data QCs and processes like this. And the, uh, the kind of impact that that's going to have ultimately, I hope, is uh, uh, being in a better position to uh, really reduce the cycle time and uh, improve the, uh, the outcomes that we can expect from oil and gas exploration. While we can be talking about all those positive kind of pros uh, associated with digital revolution, I think we should also be mindful along the way of some uh, challenges that may be lying ahead uh, in the future. One of them being the aspect of explainability, right? So. As we train those deep learning systems and we try to bring them to production levels where they can hopefully inform decision-making and so on, one of the very important questions that we're going to face at some point is to, to what degree can we really trust all those predictions, right? So for instance, if we get to a level of having a deep learning system make predictions uh, about, for instance, where to drill, and where, where to look for some hydrocarbons in the subsurface. An obvious question we're going to get from management uh, and even from peers, uh, geophysicists, is how can you trust that decision? Like, how sure are you that, uh, ca can you explain the process behind coming up with that decision? And if we use, for instance, like deep neural networks, which by far is what is used today for uh, training you know, in geophysics, Everybody knows that those neural nets can be kind of a black, black box because inside of them, there's just a bunch of numbers, right? And so clearly, if we get to some level of business impact, we'll need to be mindful about uh, how can we really explain uh, those predictions. 
in such a way that we can then be more comfortable with respect to trusting all those predictions. And so exploring more this aspect of explainable ML and explainable AI is something that I think the industry should be uh, should be looking at. But other than that, lots of exciting progress. And uh, I think the benefits that one can expect in oil and gas exploration are very important and very exciting. And, and this is a great time to be working on this uh, machine learning in geosciences. Well, thank you for your insight and perspective on this really important topic in geophysics right now, as well as many other disciplines. And uh, appreciate you authoring a couple of papers and look forward to hearing more from you. Yeah, thank you very much, Andrew. This was very fun. Thank you. Thank you for listening to SEG's flagship podcast, Seismic Sound Off. SEG produces these episodes to benefit its members, the geophysics community, and inform the public on the value of the science. To show your support for the show, please share this episode with a friend, colleague, or manager that would enjoy hearing this show. Your recommendation is the single best action you can take on behalf of SEG's podcast. Go to the website at seg.org forward slash podcast to find all the episodes and learn how you can subscribe for free directly on your phone. Original music by Zach Bridges. This episode was hosted, edited, and produced by Andrew Gary at 51 Features. The SEG podcast team is Ted Bakamjan, Jennifer Crockett, Ali McGinnis, and Mick Sweeney. Thank you for listening. This is Seismic Sound Off, signaling off.